minute at a time. I was blind, but now I see. Working jobs we hate, so we can buy shit we don't need. Ideas are breakthrough. If you had one shot, everything I'd ever read, heard, seen was now organized and available. Now you fucking khakis. Life moves pretty fast. The Biohacking Secret Show. What's going on, guys? We have another special episode, Storytime Edition of the Biohacking Secret Show. And before we dive in, I thought I would share with you guys uh, some fun biohacks that I'm working on over here. So my younger brother has um, grown himself quite the ponytail. And it actually looks pretty sweet. I make fun of it, but it's because I like it. I'm jealous. And... um, you know, my hair has been, it's okay up top. Definitely not not what it was in junior high and high school where I froed it out for the, uh, for the basketball pictures and regularly, but there's still a picture of me at Allen B. Shepard Junior High School, seventh grade, um, on the seventh grade basketball team with a giant afro. Um, and yeah, I wanted my hair to come in a little bit thicker so I purchased this iRestore. It's basically like a red light therapy device. It's a helmet that you wear. Um, and I didn't, I didn't use it enough, honestly. Um, I started using it and I only used it a couple times. And then, you know, I moved and stopped and just it got packed up and wasn't pulled out again. So now I'm doing a protocol for... Um, to see if I can't get my hair to grow in uh, even thicker up top and get myself a sweet ponytail too at some point. So what I'm doing, this protocol um, for hair regrowth, if you guys want to play around with it, um, I've got the EMR Tech Firewave. That's their very powerful uh, red and infrared light. And I'll use that for anywhere from like two to five minutes. Um holding it about six inches above my head. And uh, if you guys want to pick up one of those, we've got a discount code with them. You can find them on, um, I don't know their website, honestly. You can find them on Instagram, uh, EMR Tech, um, or just you know send me, a, send me a direct message and I can get you um, Chris, the owner's contact info. Um, but I think the discount code's Biohacks. That that should save you some dough. And so the model I use is the, is the FireWave. It's their small square one, and I'll use that for like two to five minutes, and then I'll fire up the iRestore helmet, which is a, a a twenty-five minute protocol. I think you're supposed to do it every other day, but I've just been doing it every day, and um, yeah, just got some before and after pictures, and we'll see if it's. Um, that's a lie. I have not taken before pictures, but I will today. <laughs> and, uh, and then I'll be able to get some after pictures and track it and keep you guys posted if that helps with hair regrowth. And there's there's other things like niacin and, and biotin that could be helpful, um, along with some other stuff that I'm sure you guys can share with me too. But that's what I'm doing. So I'm going to be wearing this iRestore red helmet. While I record this episode, if you hear me chomping, I'm chomping on a little bit of uh, nicotine gum. I've got two pieces of two milligram nicotine gum in here for a little cognitive boost. And so that I'm focused while reading you today's story. So for those of you that are unfamiliar, here's how these episodes work. Um, I pick a small section from a book or article or piece of literature that I enjoy or that's had a big impact on my life, my philosophies, things that we've uh, done to help other people like you. And at the end, I'll share the source, who wrote it, what it's from, so that you can go support them or pick up a copy if you want. Um, Or if you just you know, want to listen to the little story and that's it. You don't resonate with it for whatever reason, or you're good. (laughs) Um, Then that's cool too, you know, but I thought this would be a fun little thing. And if you guys like these, let me know. Other than that, what else? Um, We have applications coming in for the community project, which is donation based. The way that it works is a lot of us have seen that, um, 
you know, some of the true colors of the systems we uh, live in, you know, in 2020 and the ways that we rely and depend upon those systems, uh, food supply chains are, you know, the, the, the political theater of our system and how, you know, both candidates are really just uh, two wings of the same bird, essentially that red and blue are branding terms intended to divide and conquer. And that the, the, the same agendas are really going to be pushed regardless of who the puppet is in office. You know, that's what we've been seeing. We've been seeing the corruption of uh, big pharma and the medical industrial complex, you know, the, the same corruption that's that's existed in many of the, um, you know, in the military industrial complex, you know, all these banking wars, you know, we're told one thing and, and, and really just going over there to forcibly set up central banks, you know, and enslave these countries with fiat currency. Um, the way out of Babylon, out of the horror is non-dependence, not self-sufficiency, but just being less dependent on those systems, right? So um, being at least off-grid capable, having your own water source, um, preferably good, clean spring water from your own, from your own property, uh, growing some of your own food, you know, planting a garden. And these are some of the practices of becoming less dependent or non-dependent and doing so in a community of like-minded people living in harmony with nature, with natural law, you know, trusting that we have these robust, incredible immune systems and they can protect us from anything, including the boogeyman coronavirus. Um, so yeah, if that's something that you would like to be a part of, the way that we're doing this is it's a it's a carefully curated group of people that um, that I think would be awesome. Uh, high morality, like-minded, hardworking people. We're going to be raising money via these donations. I'm going to go out and get us an awesome piece of land, and um, your donation comes with um, a piece of that land upon which you can put a house, a cabin, uh, even a canvas wall tent, start growing some of your own food. Um, and it will be, you know, we'll have our own power. We will have our own spring water. Uh, we will have, you know, people will be growing their own food and you can feed a family of four, uh, on as little as a quarter acre, right? doesn't seem like a lot, but, um, there's entire books written on how to like maximize, uh, a quarter acre in order to feed a family of four. So very easily done. And you can, um, we don't have a website or anything like that up. Um, probably won't do that. Maybe we will. But the way that it works is um, a $25,000 donation um, get guarantees you at least a quarter acre. $100,000 donation guarantees you at least a full acre on the property. And um, you will be not only, the, you know, this is for some people, this is going to be like their vacation home or like a backup spot, you know, or like if if things get really weird where I'm living, I want to know that I have this, I have a place to go and build and, and you know, where my neighbors aren't going to call the cops on me and, you know, where I don't have to wear a mask to walk into stores or whatever, you know, and, and the power and the value is really in your community. Having that tribe of like-minded, high-morality, hard-working people that have your back, you know, and um, that's what this is about. So if you're interested, you can just go to our coaching page, biohackercoaching.com, fill out the application. Um, again, minimum investment um, that guarantees a quarter acre. It could be more, but it, it, it could just, you know, I'm going to, I want to under-promise and over-deliver um, is $25,000. And um, again, it goes up from there and we can talk and see if it's a fit. You know, it is, um, we're going to keep it, we're going to keep it where it's a great group of people, small, curated, but like-minded. And I'm pretty excited about it. So that's that. Without further ado, let's dive into this episode. I'll read and then um, at the end, I'll tell you who it is. All right, here we go. And yet it moves, Galileo whispered those defiant words in 1615 as he left the Roman Inquisition tribunal before which 
he repudiated repudiated (laughs) his theory that the earth, the immovable center of the universe, according to contemporary orthodoxy, revolves around the sun. He had not recanted, had he not recanted, well, rough start, guys, sorry. (laughs) Had he not recanted, his life would be forfeit. We like to think of Galileo's struggles as the quaint artifact of a dark, ignorant, and tyrannical era where individuals challenged government-anointed superstitions only at grave personal risk. Dr. Judy Minkovitz's story shows that stubborn orthodoxies anointed by pharmaceutical companies and corrupt government regulators to protect power and profits remain a dominant force in science and politics. By any standard, Dr. Judy Minkovitz was among the most skilled scientists of her generation. She entered professional science from the University of Virginia with a bachelor's degree in chemistry on June 10, 1980, as a protein chemist for the National Cancer Institute, working on a life-saving project to purify interferon. The quality of her work and her reliable flashes of genius soon propelled her to the apex of the male-dominated world of scientific research. At the National Cancer Institute, or NCI, Minkovitz began what would become a 20-year collaboration with Dr. Frank Rossetti, a pioneer in the field of human retrovirology. While heading up the lab of Robert Gallo in 1977, Rossetti made scientific history by co-discovering with Bernie Poies, P-O-I-E-S-Z, the first, oh my God. Okay, sorry, I thought I, (laughs) sorry guys, I uh, was just had one of those moments where I'm like, did I hit record? All right, we're good. Um, While heading up the lab of Robert Gallo in 1977, Rossetti made scientific history by co-discovering with Bernie Poise the first human retrovirus, HTLV-1, human T-cell leukemia virus. A retrovirus is a, quote, stealth virus, end quote, that like HIV enters the host without altering the immune systems. It may then lie dormant for years without causing harm. Before killing a person, a retrovirus will usually destroy their immune system. As a result, many retroviruses cause cancer. With an escalating understanding of retrovirus behavior, the Rossetti-Minkovitz collaboration and Minkovitz's award-winning PhD thesis from George Washington University in 1991 changed the paradigm of HIV-AIDS treatment, turning the disease from a death sentence into a manageable condition. From the outset, the most daunting obstacle to Minkovitz's career advancement was her scientific integrity. She always placed it ahead of personal ambition. Judy Minkovitz never meant to wade into a public health brawl. She never considered herself a renegade or revolutionary. Judy's relatives mainly worked in government or law enforcement. They believed in the bedrock American principles of hard work, respect for authority, and above all, telling the truth. That backdrop made it impossible for her to abandon her high natal standards of honesty and integrity, even when they became a hindrance. After leaving the NIH, the National Institute of Health, She worked a stint for Upjohn, leading a project to prove the safety of the company's blockbuster bovine growth hormone. When Minkovitz discovered the company's formula could cause precancerous changes in human cell cultures, she refused to direct orders from her boss to hide her discoveries. Minkovitz's revelation suggested that the ubiquitous presence of the hormone in milk could lead to breast cancer in women who drank it. Her refusal to back down precipitated her departure from Upjohn and her return to the NIH and graduate school. Judy's war on BGH, bovine growth hormone, eventually led to Upjohn abandoning the product. 
in 2009, now in academia, Minkovitz and Rossetti, who was still at NCI, led a team that discovered a strong association between a previously unknown retrovirus and myalgic encephalomyelitis. Did I say that right? Encephalomyelitis, commonly known as chronic fatigue syndrome, or CFS. Predictably, the retrovirus was also linked to certain blood cancers. Collaborators had named it xenotropic murine leukemia-related virus, XMRV, when they first detected it in DNA sequences in prostate cancer a few years earlier. An interesting note, my dad, who was diagnosed with Parkinson's in 2015, symptomology presented itself years before that, um, he got had prostate cancer about five or 10 years beforehand and had to have his prostate removed as a result. <clears throat> so I'm mentioning that because there is a connection between these retroviruses, uh, radiation and electrical poisoning from you know 3G, 4G, 5G, heavy metal toxicity, and the interplay of um, you know of bugs, metals, and radiation frequencies. The medical community had dealt with chronic fatigue syndrome, which strikes mostly women, in bad faith since its appearance in the mid 1980s. The medical establishment derided chronic fatigue syndrome as, quote-unquote, the yuppie flu, and attributed it to the inherent psychological fragility of career women pursuing professions in high-pressure corporate ecosystems. Minkovitz found evidence for the retrovirus in approximately 67% of women afflicted with chronic fatigue syndrome, and in a little less than 4% of the healthy population. It's pretty significant. On October 8th, 2009, Minkovitz and Rossetti published their explosive findings in the journal Science, describing the first ever isolation of the recently discovered retrovirus XMRV and its association to chronic fatigue syndrome. Her revelation about chronic fatigue syndrome immediately triggered angry reactions from jealous cancer power centers, stubbornly resistant to science that attributed cancer and neuroimmune diseases to viruses. Yeah, it's not just infections like viruses and bacteria. It's also the metals. It's also the frequencies, the electrical poisoning, radiation. The blowback grew even grimmer when Minkovitz's subsequent research suggested that the new retrovirus originally found in mice had somehow jumped into humans via contaminated vaccines. I want to read that one more time. The blowback grew even grimmer when Minkovitz's subsequent research suggested that the new retrovirus originally found in mice had somehow jumped into humans via contaminated vaccines. Even more troubling to the medical establishment, Dr. Minkovitz's research revealed that many of the female patients afflicted with XMRV had children with autism, suspecting XMRV might be passed from mother to child. As with HIV, Minkovitz tested 17, wait, I just, my tonality was way off. <laughs> Suspecting XMRV might be passed from mother to child, as with HIV, Minkovitz tested 17 of the children. 14 showed evidence of the virus. Those findings dovetailed with prenatal reports of autistic regression following vaccination. Subsequent studies linked XMRV to epidemics in leukemia, prostate cancer, autoimmune disease, and the explosion of Alzheimer's disease. If you guys are finding this episode interesting and you're enjoying it, please share it. Send it to people on the front lines, healthcare workers, people that may not yet be aware of the risks and connections that vaccines and retroviruses play in 
um, a lot of these conditions. That's, um, that's how this podcast reaches more people. And if you're listening to this podcast for the first time, um, thank you. And make sure you subscribe to the Biohacking Secrets Show podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, uh, whatever it is that you use to listen to your podcasts. We appreciate you as a subscriber. Okay, let's continue. Worse yet, research also found widespread XMRV contamination in the blood supply and blood products. Based on her research and the findings of others, it seemed that anywhere from 3 to 8% of the population now carry the virus. XMRV has become a part of human ecology, passed from mother to child in vitro or through breast milk. Minkovitz's data suggested that more than 10 million Americans are harboring this virus like a ticking time bomb, a potential threat far greater than the HIV-AIDS epidemic. Think about this too. There's research from Judith, um, I think it's Judith Very Baker. Um, she discovered that radiation, like the kind that we get from our phones, Wi-Fi, course, 5G smart meters that are on our homes activates uh, virus, certain viruses and retroviruses, right? She's shown that it allows zoonotic viruses to actually um, mutate and jump from animals to humans. So you think about how some of these things are almost like um, chess pieces put in place that interact and interface with one another, um, potentially creating, you know, um, from the, the viewpoint of the pharmaceutical industry, industry, good customers, you know, people who are chronically ill and willing to empty their wallet in order to try to feel better and, and get healthy, right? Could it be that some of these things are done by design? that their effects are known, that's for you to decide. I'm not making any claims. In January of 2011, HIV and AIDS expert Ben Burkhout, B-E-R-K-H-O-U-T, I'm spelling these just in case I'm butchering names and you guys want to look them up, published these explosive revelations in the journal Frontiers in Microbiology. He included Minkovitz's evidence that mouse tissue used in vaccine production was the likely vector for human contamination. Unbeknownst to Judy, her co-authored, unbeknownst to Judy, her co-author on this book, Kent Heckenlivy, had already independently discovered published medical research showing that the first recorded outbreak of chronic fatigue was among 198 doctors and nurses at the Los Angeles County Hospital in 1934 and 1935, following their injection with an experimental polio vaccine grown in mouse brain tissue. I'm just going to read that one more time because it's important. Unbeknownst to Judy, her co-author on this book, Kent Heckenlivy, had already independently discovered published medical research showing that the first recorded outbreak of chronic fatigue, also known as ME slash CFS, was among 198 doctors and nurses at the Los Angeles County Hospital in 1934 and 1935, following their injection with an experimental polio vaccine grown in mouse brain tissue. Minkovitz's evidence threatened financial catastrophe for the world's pharmaceutical companies because of their negligent use of animal cell cultures to produce vaccines and other pharmaceutical products. Her findings put, put at risk billions of dollars of revenues from an entire branch of medicine called biologics, which depends on animal tissues and products, not to mention aborted fetal cells. Pharmaceutical companies and their captive regulators unleashed a furious broad, broadside against Minkovitz, oop, that's the helmet going off, against Minkovitz and Rossetti, besieging them from every stronghold. 
The journal Science feverishly pressed Minkovitz to retract her October 2009 article. In September of 2011, the wit Whitmore Peterson Institute at the University of Nevada, Reno, fired Judy from her faculty job. Judy and her family noticed menacing-looking men following her in pickup trucks and other incidents indicating she was under surveillance. In one incident, burly thugs surrounded her home and forced her to flee in a boat. After she escaped, they barged into her home, claiming to work for the government. In November, Ventura police arrested Judy without a warrant and held her in jail for five days without bail. The police searched her house from top to bottom, strewing her papers everywhere. The same day, cops raided the home of her friend, Lily, and forced her to sit in a chair for several hours while they ransacked the building. NIH officials told Nevada police that Dr. Minkovitz had illegally taken her research notebooks from their lab. This was a fabricated charge. As the principal investigator on two government grants, it was Dr. Minkovitz's obligation to retain all of her research papers. Furthermore, Judy had left all the notebooks in her university office on September 29th. That same day, someone illegally burglarized Judy's office, removed her notebooks, and then somehow planted them in a closet of her home, apparently to incriminate her. Weeks later, as Judy languished in a cell, her husband, David, found the journals neatly packed in a linen, linen beach bag in an obscure closet of her Southern California home. David frantically took them to the jail after midnight and then handed them over to Ventura police. While she was in jail, Judy's former boss told her husband and Dr. Rossetti that if she just signed an apology, we're talking about um, Dr. Fauci here. Guys, her, her, Judy's former boss at the National Insti Institute of Health was Dr. Anthony Fauci, also known as Dr. Death for his um, involvement in the AZT um, scandal that um, killed and severely hurt a lot of the gay community. If you're not familiar with that, um, you may want to look it up, but they're just not naming Fauci here. And, um, but that's who they're talking about. He was, he was her boss and he's the one essentially trying to blackmail in this story. So, uh, while she was in jail, Judy's former boss, Dr. Anthony Fauci told her husband and Dr. Rossetti that if she just signed an apology, admitting her paper was wrong, the police would release her from confinement and she could salvage her science career. Judy refused. No prosecutor had ever filed charges against her, but the pharmaceutical cartel and its captive scientific journals launched a campaign of vilification against her. Less than two years earlier, the journal Science had celebrated her. Now, the same journal published her mugshot and retracted her paper. Judy lost federal grants for which she was the principal investigator. She had gone she has gone bankrupt trying to find work and restore her good name. The science journals, admittedly all now controlled by Big Pharma, have refused to publish her papers. The National Institute of Health medical libraries have locked her out. Despite spending hundreds of thousands of dollars in legal fees, she has not been able to get her day in court. The U.S. attorney in Nevada has kept the case, quote unquote, under seal, end quote, for years. Fraudulent acts of public health officials at the highest level, levels of health and human services have effectively rendered her unemployable. The persecution of scientists and doctors who dare to challenge contemporary orthodoxies did not take arrest after Galileo. It has always been and remains today an occupational hazard. Hendrik Ibsen's 1882 play, an enemy of the people is a parable for the pitfall of scientific integrity. Ibsen tells the story of a doctor in southern Norway who discovers that his town's popular and lucrative public baths were actually sickening the visitors who flocked to them for rejuvenation. Discharges from local tanneries had infected the spas with lethal bacteria. 
While the doctor goes public with the information, local merchants joined by government officials and their allies in the quote-unquote liberal-minded independent press, end quote, and other financially interested parties move to muzzle him. The medical establishment pulls his medical license. The townsfolk vilify and brand him, quote, an enemy of the people, period, and end quote. Think about the parallels today of all of the people in natural health who have been de-indexed by Google. Google's effectively owned by the pharmaceutical industry, for, for those of you who um, are not aware. And um, people who have been censored on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, including us, for sharing natural health information, sharing the truth about vaccines in an effort to warn our fellow man, you know, and keep people from repeating history, right? This is, this is nothing new. So as you're seeing it unfold, what's great about it is it's showing their true colors. You know, in many ways, 2020 is, is the year of 2020 vision. We're seeing the corruption of many of these uh, old institutions. It's really the year the masks came off, um, as Owen Benjamin um, said on his live stream. Okay. The real-life plight of Ignaz Samuelweis, um, a Hungarian physician, inspired the term and Ibsen's play. In 1847... Dr. Samuel Weiss was an assistant professor at Vienna's General Hospital Maternity Clinic, where around 10% of women died from perpetual birth bed fever. Based on his pet theory that cleanliness could mitigate transmission of disease-causing particles, Samuel Weiss introduced the practice of mandatory hand washing for interns between performing aut autopsies and delivering babies. It's crazy to think that people were performing autopsies and then delivering babies without washing their hands, <laughs> but uh, that was going on. That was happening. The rate of fatal perpetual fever immediately dropped to around 1%. So think about that. Went from, went all the way down from, I think it was, what, yeah, 10% to 1%. Samuel Weiss published these findings. Rather than building a statue to Samuel Weiss, the medical community, unwilling to admit culpability in the injury of so many patients, expelled the doctor from the medical profession. His former colleagues tricked Dr. Samuel Weiss into visiting a mental institution in 1865, then committed him against his will. Samuel Weiss died mysteriously two weeks later. A decade afterward, Louis Pasteur's germ theory and Joseph Listel's work on hospital sanitation vindicated Samuel Weiss's ideas. Modern analogs abound. Herbert Needleman of the University of Pittsburgh endured the Samuel Weiss reflex when he revealed the brain-killing toxicity of lead in the 1980s. Needleman published a groundbreaking study in 1979 in the New England Journal of Medicine, showing that children with high levels of lead in their teeth scored significantly lower than their peers on intelligence tests, on auditory and speech processing, and on attention measurements. Beginning in the early 1980s, the lead and oil industries, in parentheses it says, leaded gasoline was a lucrative petroleum product, mobilized relations firms and scientific and medical consultants to labast Needleman's research and his credibility. Industry, in, industry pressured the Environmental Protection Agency, the Office of Scientific Integrity at the National Institutes of Health, and the University of Pittsburgh to launch investigations against Needleman. Ultimately, the federal government and the university vindicated Needleman. But the impact of the industry's scathing assault ruined Needleman's academic career and stagnated the field of lead research. The episode offended an enduring I'm sorry, the episode offered an enduring demonstration of industry power to disrupt the lives of researchers who dare to question their product's safety. 
Rachel Carson ran the same gauntlet in the early 1960s when she exposed the dangers of Monsanto's DDT pesticide, which the medical community then promoted as prophylactic against body lice and malaria. Yeah, guys, so Monsanto's been in the game for a long time, and they were the company behind DDT. Um, they were, yeah, they were spraying people with this stuff, claiming it as a, uh, a prophylactic, you know, a preventative uh, against lice and malaria. It's insane. Um, the same people behind glyphosate, GMOs, it's all, it's all the same good old boys club, uh, except they're not good at all. <laughs> Government officials and medical professionals led by the American Medical Association joined Monsanto and other chemical manufacturers, attacking Carson viciously. Trade journals and the popular media disparaged her as a, quote-unquote, hysterical woman, end quote. Industry talking points derided Carson as a spinster, the contemporary euphemism for lesbian and for being unscientific. Vicious criticism of her book appeared in editorial pages in Time, Life, Newsweek, The Saturday Evening Post, U.S. News and World Report, and even Sports Illustrated. I'm immensely proud of my uncle, President John F. I'm immensely proud that my uncle, President John F. Kennedy, played a critical role in vindicating Car Carson. In 1962, he defied his own USDA a captive agency in league with Monsanto, and appointed a panel of independent scientists who validated every material assertion in Carson's book, Silent Spring. The evidence of British physician and epidemiologist Alice Stewart offers a near-perfect analogy to the medical cartel's lynching of Judy Minkovitz. In the 1940s, Stewart was one of the rare women in her profession and the youngest fellow ever elected at the time to the Royal College of Physicians. She began investigating the high occurrences of childhood cancers in well-to-do families, a puzzling phenomenon given that disease often correlated with poverty and seldom with affluence. Stewart published a paper in The Lancet in 1956, offering strong evidence that the common practice of giving x-rays to pregnant women was the culprit in carcinomas that would later afflict their children. According to Margaret Heffernan, author of Willful Blindness, Stewart's findings, quote, flew in the face of conventional wisdom, end quote. The medical profession's enthusiasm for the new technology of x-rays, as well as doctors' idea of themselves, which was as people who helped patients. A coalition of government regulators, nuclear promoters, and the nuclear industry joined the U.S. and British medical establishments in launching a brutal attack on Stewart. Stewart, who died in 2002 at the age of 95, never again received another major research grant in England. It took 25 years after the publication of Stewart's paper for the medical establishment to finally acknowledge her findings and abandon the practice of X-raying expectant mothers. We're also, the same practice is taking place now, guys, with pregnant mothers. It's just their cell phone. It's the smart meters in their homes. It's the Wi-Fi routers. And it's the rollout of 5G masts worldwide. It's having the same effect. It's just not one powerful blast, you know. Dr. Mercola did a great job in his book, EMF'd, if you wanted to check that out and dive a little bit deeper into, into that. Um, a couple other good ones that we've shared on Storytime are The Invisible Rainbow um, by Arthur Fistenberg and The Contagion Myth by Dr. Thomas Cowan, if you're interested and want to check, check those ones out. Judy Minkovitz is heir to these martyrs and more directly to a long line of scientists whose public, whom public health officials have punished, exiled, exiled, and ruined specifically for committing heresy against reigning vaccine orthodoxies. Dr. Bernice Eddy was an award-winning virologist and one of the highest-ranking female scientists in NIH history. She and her research partner, Elizabeth Stewart, were the first researchers to isolate the 
poliomavirus, 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 the first virus proven to cause cancer. In 1954, the NIH asked Eddie to direct testing of the Salk polio vaccine. She discovered while testing 18 uh, macaques, M-A-C-A-Q-U-E-S, I'm not sure what that means, that, that Salk's vaccine contained residual live polio viruses that was paralyzing the monkeys. Dr. Eddie warned her NIH bosses that the vaccine was virulent, but they dismissed her concerns. The distribution of that vaccine by Cutter Labs in California caused the worst polio outbreak in history. Health officials infected 200,000 people with live polio. 70,000 became sick, leaving 200 children paralyzed and 10 dead. In 1961, Eddie discovered that a cancer-causing monkey virus, SV40, also known as simian virus 40, had contaminated 98 million Salk polio vaccines. When she injected the SV40 virus into newborn hamsters, the rodents sprouted tumors. Eddie's discovery proved an embarrassment to many scientists working on the vaccine. Instead of rewarding her for her visionary work, NIH officials banned her from polio research and assigned her to other duties. The NIH buried the alarming information and continued using the vaccines. In the autumn of 1960, the New York Cancer Society invited Eddie to address its annual conference. Eddie chose the subject of tumors induced by the polyoma virus. However, she also described tumors induced by the SV40 viral agent in monkey kidney cells. Her NIH supervisor angrily reprimanded Eddie for mentioning the discovery publicly and banned her from public health crisis statements. Eddie argued for publication of her work on the virus, casting the contaminated vaccine supply on an urgent public health crisis. Agency bigwigs stonewalled publication, allowing Merck and Park Davis to continue marketing the oncogenic vaccine to millions of American adults and children. This episode of the Biohacking Secrets Show is brought to you by Veritas Farms and their full line of CBD products, CBD standing for cannabidiol. Now, we are real excited about this partnership because Veritas means truth in Latin, and we are big believers in bringing you guys the truth, not just through this podcast, but by making sure that any products that we share or that we bring on as sponsors are products that we personally use, believe in, and endorse ourselves. And that is the case with Veritas Farms and their full line of CBD products. The reason that they're so great, they are full spectrum hemp products, meaning that they have all of the beneficial phytonutrients that you get in a quality CBD product. 99% of the CBD products on the market are CBD isolate, and they're just being resold, meaning they're coming from a few small manufacturers. They've only got one tiny part of all of the important phytonutrients that you need to get the benefits you want from a CBD product, and they're just a bunch of different companies reselling them. Veritas Farms is vertically integrating, meaning they own the farm. They ensure that there are no pesticides being added. It's organic, and then they control the entire process from harvesting to extraction until that product ends up at your door. That's what I love. It. It's kind of like farm to table, but for CBD. And the benefits that I've noticed, my sleep is better. I feel like I get a deeper, more restful night's sleep. I'm less stressed. I never have periods of anxiety. I feel calm and focused throughout the day, and it even decreases inflammation inflammation when I have flights or other things where inflammation is an inevitable part of life. You take a little extra CBD and it can be very helpful for stress, anxiety, sleep, and that inflammation. So if you guys want to check it out, we've arranged a 15% discount for you guys. To get that, you can go to theveritasfarms.com forward slash biohacks. I'll spell it out. T-H-E-V-E-R-I-T-A-S-F-A-R-M-S.com forward slash B-I-O-H-A-C-K-S to save 15%. Check out the Veritas Farms CBD. You guys are going to absolutely love it. On July 26, 1961, the New York Times reported that Merck and Park Davis were withdrawing their Salk vaccines. The article said nothing about cancer. The Times ran the story next to an account about 
overdue library fines on page 33. Even though Merck and Park Davis recalled their polio vaccines in 1961, NIH officials refused to pursue a total recall of the rest of the supply, fearing reputational injury to the vaccine program if Americans learned that PHS had infected them with a cancer-producing virus. As a result, millions of unsuspecting Americans received carcinogenic vaccines between 1961 and 1963. The Public Health Service then concealed that quote-unquote secret for 40 years. In total, 98 million Americans received shots potentially containing the cancer-producing virus, which is now part of the human genome. In 1996, government researchers identified SV40 in 23% of the blood specimens and 45% of the sperm specimens collected from healthy adults. 6% of the children born between 1980 and 1995 are infected. Public health officials gave millions of people the vaccine for years after they knew it was infected. They contaminated humanity with a monkey virus and refused to admit what they'd done. Today, SV40, simian virus 40, is used in research laboratories throughout the world because it is so reliably carcinogenic. Researchers use it to produce a wide variety of bone and soft tissue cancers, including mesothelioma and brain tumors in animals. These cancer cells have exploded in the baby boom generation, which received the SOC and Sabin polio vaccines between 1955 and 1963. Skin cancers are up by 70%, lymphoma and prostate by 66%, and brain cancer by 34%. Prior to 1950, mesothelioma was rare in humans. Today, doctors diagnose nearly 3,000 Americans with, with mesotheliomas every year. 60% of the tumors that were tested contained SV40. Today, scientists find SV40 in a wide range of deadly tumors, including between 33% and 90% of brain tumors, 8 of 8 ependymomas, ependymomas, E-P-E-N-D-Y-M-O-M-A-S, and nearly half of the bone tumors tested. In successive measures, NIH forbade Bernice Eddy from speaking publicly or attending scholarly conferences, held up her papers, removed her from vaccine research altogether, and eventually destroyed her animals and took away access to her labs. Her treatment continues to mark an enduring scandal, an enduring scandal with the scientific community. Yet NIH's Bernice Eddy's playbook has become a standardized template for federal vaccine regulators in their treatment of dissident vaccine scientists who seek to tell the truth about vaccines. Dr. Anthony Morris was a bacteriologist. Wow. <laughs> Dr. Anthony Morris was a bacteriologist and virologist who worked for 36 years at the National Institute of Health and the Food and Drug Administration, FDA, beginning in 1940. Morris served as the chief vaccine officer for the Bureau of Biological Standards and the National Institute of Health, and later with FDA when the BBS transferred to that agency in the 1970s. Dr. Morris irked his superiors by arguing that the research carried out by his unit demonstrated there, were no, there was no reliable proof that flu vaccines were effective in preventing influenza. In particular, he accused his supervisors of basing HHS's mass vaccination program for the swine flu primarily on a scientifically baseless fear campaign and on false claims made by pharmaceutical manufacturers. He warned that the vaccine was dangerous and could induce neurological injuries. His CDC superior warned Dr. Morris, quote, I would advise you not to talk about this, end quote. When that may be, I'm not sure if that's Fauci, so I don't want to make any claims. Um, when vaccine recipients began reporting adverse reactions, including Gillian Barr, 
Dr. Morris disobeyed that order and went public. He declared that the flu vaccine was ineffective and potentially dangerous and said that he could find no evidence that this swine flu was dangerous or that it would spread from human to human. In retaliation, FDA officials confiscated his research materials, changed the locks on his laboratory, reassigned his laboratory staff, and blocked his efforts to publish his findings. The FDA assigned Dr. Moritz to a small room with no telephone. Anyone who wished to see him had to secure permission from the chief of the lab. In 1976, HHS fired Dr. Morris on the pretext that he failed to return library books on time. Subsequent events supported Dr. Morris's skepticism about the swine flu shot. The 1976 swine flu vaccination program was so fraught with problems that the government discontinued inoculations after 49 million people had received the vaccine. Among the vaccine's victims were 500 cases of Guillain-Barr, including 200 people paralyzed and 33 dead. Furthermore, the incidence of swine flu among vaccinated was seven times greater than among those who were unvaccinated, according to news reports. According to his New York Times obituary, Dr. Morris said, quote, the producers of these influenza vaccines know they are worthless, but they go on selling them anyway. End quote. He told the Washington Post in 1979, quote, it's a medical ripoff. I believe the public should have truthful information on the basis of which they can determine whether or not to take the vaccine, end quote, adding, I believe that given full information, they won't take the vaccine, end quote. FDA used the same playbook in 2002 to isolate, silence, and drive from government service its star epidemiologist, Dr. Bart Klassen, when his massive epidemiologic studies, the largest ever performed, linked HIV vaccines, HIB vaccines, to the juvenile, juvenile diabetes epidemic. FDA ordered Dr. Klassen to refrain from publishing the government-funded studies forbade forbade him from talking publicly about the alarming outbreak, and eventually forced him out of government service. In 1995, the CDC hired a PhD computer analytics expert, Dr. Gary Goldman, to perform the largest ever CDC-funded study of the chickenpox vaccine. Goldman's results on an isolated population of 300,000 residents of Antelope Valley, California, showed that the vaccine waned leading to dangerous outbreaks of chickenpox in adults and that 10-year-old children who received the vaccine were getting shingles at over three times the rate of unvaccinated children. Shingles has 20 times the death rate of chickenpox and causes blindness. The CDC ordered Goldman to hide his findings and forbade him from publishing his data. In 2002, Goldman resigned in protest. He sent a letter to his bosses saying that he was resigning because, quote, I refuse to participate in research fraud, end quote. Recent medical history overflows with other examples of this brutal suppression of any science that exposes vaccines risks. Its casualties include brilliant and compassionate doctors and scientists like Dr. Wayne Squire, the rail the, the railroaded British gastroenterologist Andy Wakefield, the steadfast father-son research team David and Dr. Mark Geier, G-E-I-E-R, and, and Italian biochemist Antoinetta Gatti. Any just society would have built statues to these visionaries and honored them with laurels and leadership. Our corrupt medical officials have systematically disgraced and silenced them. In England, neuropathologist Dr. Wayne Squire of the Ratcliffe Hospital in Oxford testified in a series of cases on behalf of defendants accused of inflicting shaken baby syndrome. Squire believed that in these cases, vaccines and not physical trauma had caused the infant's brain injuries. In March 2016, the Medical Practitioners Tribunal Service, MPTS, 
charged her with falsifying evidence and lying and struck her from the medical register. Squire appealed the tribunal's decision in November 2016. The High Court of England reversed the MPTS's decision, concluding, quote, the determination of the MPTS is in many significant ways flawed, end quote. Professor Peter Goch, G-O-T-Z-S-C-H-E, co-founded the Cochrane Collaboration in 1993 to remedy the overwhelming corruption of published science and scientists by pharmaceutical companies. Over 30,000 of the world's leading scientists joined Cochrane as volunteer reviewers hoping to restore independence and integrity to published science. Gerch was responsible Goch, Goch. Goch was responsible for making Cochrane the world's leading independent research institute. He also founded <coughs> the Nordic Cochrane Center in 2003. On October 29, 2018, pharmaceutical interests led by Bill Gates finally succeeded in ousting Professor Goch. A stacked board controlled by Gates fired Goch from the Cochrane collaboration after he published a well-founded criticism of the HPV vaccine, human, human pamplonavirus, I believe HPV. In 2018, the Danish government, under pressure from pharma, fired Peter Goch from Righospitlet in Copenhagen. It's R-I-G-S-H-O-S-P-I-T-A-L-E-T in Copenhagen, just in case I'm butchering it, which I'm sure I am butchering the pronunciation. His findings about the HPV vaccine threatened the pharmaceutical industry's earnings. Science, at its best, is a search for existential truth. Sometimes, however, those truths threaten powerful economic paradigms. Both science and democracy rely on the free flow of accurate information. Greedy corporations and captive government regulators have consistently shown themselves willing to twist, distort, falsify, and corrupt science, hide information, and censor open debate to protect personal power and corporate profits. Censorship is the fatal enemy of both democracy and public health. And we're seeing that threatened now. So I'm, I'm sharing this with you guys so that together we can make a difference. We can prioritize truth. We can share this podcast episode with other people who may just be misinformed or getting their information from the mainstream media, etc. Censorship is the fatal enemy of both democracy and public health. Dr. Frank Rossetti often quotes Valery Legasov, the courageous Russian physicist who bravely, who braved censor, torture, and threats on his life by the KGB to reveal to the world the true cause of the Chernobyl disaster. Quote, to be a scientist is to be naive. We are so focused on our search for truth we fail to consider how few actually want us to find it, but it is always there, whether we can see it or not, whether we choose to or not. The truth doesn't care about our needs or our wants. It doesn't care about our governments, our ideologies, our religions. It will lie in wait for all time. End quote. This account by Judy Minkovitz and Kent Heckenlivy is vitally important both to the health of our children and the vitality of our of our democracy my father believed in moral courage to be the rarest species of bravery i like that moral courage my father believed moral courage to be the rarest species of bravery rarer than even the physical courage of soldiers in battle or great intelligence he thought it the one vital quality required to salvage the world. I love that. I, I, I agree. That's great. Yeah. 
moral courage. You know, how can all of us have bring bring more moral courage to our lives? And you know, how can we embody moral courage? You know, he thought it's the one vital quality required to salvage the world. If we are to continue to enjoy democracy and protect our our children from the forces that seek to commoditize humanity, then we need courageous scientists like Judy Minkovitz who are willing to, to speak truth to power, even at terrible personal cost. All right. So that's that. If you guys enjoyed this episode, please send it to a couple people who would want to check it out and encourage them to subscribe to this podcast, the biohacking secrets show, uh, wherever they listen to podcasts and to subscribe to our newsletter by going to biohackersguide.com forward slash energy crash, B I O H A C K E R S G U I D E.com forward slash energy crash. That will get you, um, our free email newsletter delivered piping hot to your inbox. And if you are interested in being a part of the solution and want to see if um, if it's a fit in for you in the community that we are building, um, you can go to biohackercoaching.com, fill out the short form, let me know that it is uh, about the community that you're interested in discussing. And again, um, minimum donation is 25k that guarantees at least a quarter acre and then it goes up from there um and this excerpt for those of you that are wondering and want to pick up the book if you liked this that was the introduction to the book uh plague of corruption restoring faith in the promise of science uh the book is written by dr judy minkovitz and um kent hackenlivy as mentioned and that forward which is what I just shared with you, was written by Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Uh, of, and he runs the Children's Health Defense, another great resource for um, truth. And yeah, so if you guys enjoyed that, you know, go and pick up a copy of Plague of Corruption, Restoring Faith in the Promise of Science, and keep reading. Appreciate you guys so much. Have a beautiful day. And oh, and if you enjoy this podcast, please uh, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. Um, let us know. There's, yeah, I mean, appreciate that. And it helps other people know that, you know, there's value in listening to the podcast because everyone's, everyone's short on time these days. So they want to know if they're investing their time in something worthwhile. You guys taking, you know, 30 seconds to go leave us, leave us a review helps get this truth out there. So appreciate you. Thank you so much. Have a beautiful day and I will talk to you soon. What's up guys, Anthony here. And thank you so much for listening to this episode of the biohacking secrets show. One of my favorite things to do is helping men and women like you feel what it's like with the body you've always wanted and all day energy that starts the moment you wake up and doesn't quit. Over the past decade, we've created a proprietary health assessment that helps me to identify the unique toxicities and deficiencies that may be holding you back from the life that you deserve. And what we've discovered in doing this with now thousands of CEOs, executives, professional athletes, businessmen, Hollywood celebrities, and entrepreneurs is that there's always room for improvement and optimization. Whether you're already performing at a high level or you have that feeling inside your heart that you're capable of more, the single fastest way to unlock your potential is to upgrade your mind and your body. And there's no program on earth that does that faster or to a greater magnitude than our one-on-one -on -one consulting program at www.biohackingsecrets.com forward slash coaching. We start with our proprietary health assessment that screens you for vitamin deficiencies like A, D, magnesium, iron, etc., high cholesterol and heart disease, high blood pressure, digestive disorders, hidden infections like Lyme, Epstein-Barr, parasites, SIBO, candida, and more that can just drain your energy in the background, especially if you don't know about them. Anxiety, depression, and cognitive disorders, autoimmune disease, adrenal fatigue, thyroid issues, mold toxicity, heavy metals, environmental toxins, and other genetic risk factors like 
MTHFR, APOE status, your glutathione production, and many more. We even recommend the specific tests that I use with my one-on-one clients if they're relevant for you in figuring out your biological age and identifying those key areas and opportunities that can take your life to the next level. From there, we create a customized game plan along with a personalized supplement protocol to help you optimize your weight and energy at the cellular level. And for our platinum clients, we even include a personalized workshop with me in Delray Beach, Florida. Most of the year, this program's full with a waiting list, but we just had a couple spots open up and I wanted to offer them to the listeners of the Biohacking Secrets show first. So if you're interested in seeing what it might look like for us to work together, head over to www.biohackingsecrets.com forward slash coaching. That's www.biohackingsecrets.com forward slash C-O-A-C-H-I-N-G and fill out the short application form. If you're pre-approved, you'll be given the opportunity to book a time to connect with someone on our team and see if it's a fit. Thank you so much for being a part of this community, and I look forward to potentially going on this journey together. 